Hello and welcome to Mindful of Everything with me, Agrita, a podcast giving an insight to the mind of deep thinkers, where in each episode I'll be discussing various thoughts and questions deep thinkers often find themselves mindful of, from topics such as climate change to self-development and everything else in between. So, let the journey of mind unravelling begin now. Before I begin today's episode, I'd just like to apologise for delaying this episode, just because I had quite a few things going on. And also, I just wanted you to kind of take in everything from my climate change series. I did provide quite a lot of information about it. And I still haven't released two bonuses, which will talk about recycling and how you can reduce your plastic waste. So I'll definitely release those bonuses at some point in the future. So I do hope that you enjoyed that series and you've gained quite a lot from it. Of course, that won't be the end of my discussion on climate change, but that is just a series kind of summarising why I think that climate change should be our priority of our society today. Today's episode is a complete shift from what I've been talking about recently, and I would just like to warn anybody that might be sensitive to this issue, that may have faced this issue, or may feel that this episode should be labelled as explicit. This episode is really, really important because I think that this issue is really important to talk about, and that is exactly why I didn't want to label this episode as explicit, because the issue is very sensitive, but the episode itself and the content that I will discuss today is not explicit in any way. So this is just a trigger warning for anybody that will be upset by listening to any of this episode and any of the information I will discuss about today. I will be going through facts instead of graphic details about FGM, so I don't think it should be too much of a problem, but it is my duty, it is my responsibility to tell you as the listener of what will come ahead, so please do be aware of that. So let's begin today's episode. To anyone that may be new to the problem of FGM, or anybody that just needs to get a sort of recap about what it exactly is, FGM is female genital mutilation, and the World Health Organization, so WHO, describes it as any procedures that involve partial or total removal of the external female genitalia, or any sort of injury to female genitals for non-medical purposes. So FGM, female genital mutilation, there is no health benefits to it for the females that undergo it, but it is seen as an essential cultural practice in some countries and communities. So that's a scientific and actual definition of female genital mutilation given by the World Health Organization. When we talk about female genital mutilation, we usually just think it's just like one procedure that a female will go through. In fact, FGM actually has four different types of procedures, all of which do cause harm to the female, does involve the removal of the female genitalia or some sort of harm to the female genitalia. So I just want to go through some of the four different types of FGM. Type 1, which is usually called clitoridectomy, which is the partial or total removal of the clitoris. And very rare cases actually involve the removal of the prepuce, which is the folds of the skin surrounding the clitoris. So the first type, which is the most common type of FGM, is clitoridectomy. So just partial or total removal of the clitoris, or the skin surrounding the clitoris. 
Type 2 is called excision, which is partial or total removal of the clitoris and the labia minora. That is the inner folds of the vulva. And this can include the removal of the labia majora, which is outer folds of the skin of the vulva, or it can you can do the process without removing the labia majora as well. Type 3 is called infibulation, which is essentially the narrowing of vaginal opening. So a seal is applied to the vaginal opening by cutting or repositioning the labia minora or the majora. And this can include things like stitching. So to narrow the opening, they'll just stitch it to the point where a female can urinate. And that is basically it. And this can include removal of the clitoris as well, which is clitoridectomy, which I explained as type 1. Type 4 is essentially any other harmful procedures to the female genitalia, of course for non-medical reasons. So things like pricking or piercing, incising, scraping, cauterizing, any sort of damage done to the female genitalia is classed as type 4. So that was just a discussion of what female genital mutilation actually is and the different procedures in which female genital mutilation is carried out. But I just want to spend some time actually understanding where this practice came about and why people think it's necessary for girls and for females in general to undergo this procedure. Because of course there is no health benefits to it. It's very painful. You can imagine how painful it is and it makes no sense. Yet people are continuing to make their females, females and their family, undergo this procedure. So where exactly did this procedure, this practice, come about? The actual origins of practice is very unknown. And many think that this practice existed in ancient Egypt and Ethiopia and Greece. And it was well beyond religion and geography or socioeconomic status so it wasn't based on religion or where you actually were from or your social status essentially. It was just a practice that so happened in the ancient world and this practice does predate Islam because of course it occurred in ancient Egypt but currently it's very prevalent in Muslim countries which is why most people think it is a practice that more Muslims would take up compared to any other religion. Not only that though, it's not just Muslims that do it and it's not just a cultural thing. As recent as 1950s, for instance, clitoridectomy was practiced a lot in Western Europe and even in US. So it's pretty crazy, but many females would undergo clitoridectomy to treat conditions like hysteria, epilepsy, mental disorders, even masturbation. So the conditions or the things that people thought were conditions were thought to be caused by the clitoris. Makes zero sense and many females would have it removed. There were even some cases where people in the US or just in Europe would have their clitoris removed if it was a little bit larger than the usual size. So there was a lot of misconception and misunderstanding about the female body essentially and clitoridectomy and any other form of FGM has been practiced in some of the areas where you wouldn't even expect it to be practiced. So it's not just a cultural thing, it's just, I think, it's just a product of 
misunderstanding the female body and not just misunderstanding but just not wanting to understand to the point that some females are so uncomfortable to talk about their own bodies or listen to other people's problems about their own bodies. I think that's where FGM really originates from. Just society and females themselves not really understanding their bodies and just going with norms when those norms shouldn't even exist. Yeah, the origin of FGM is still unknown, but ancient practices and very recent practices just show how much we just don't understand the female body. And of course, we do need to understand it. Because this practice is now affecting females in such a negative way. I don't think there is any positives about it, and I don't think anybody would think there is a positive about it. Girls usually undergo the cutting between ages 6 to 12. Some even undergo it when they're a few days old. It's such a painful procedure, and imagine a newborn child undergoing that cutting just because of social pressure. When there's no health benefits, there are no benefits to the female, yet that female is being told that you need to undergo FGM because society says so. So it's a major problem, and we need to help with this issue. We need to help fix this issue and tell people that this is not compulsory, this is not necessary, it shouldn't even exist. and. If you do feel pressurised about undergoing FGM by your family, you need to realise that that's a major problem. So I've just talked about the history of FGM. How exactly do these procedures take place? Who does it? And so on. Girls in villages, they usually are aware that they will undergo this cutting. And some might be even eager to undergo it just because society, their society, their villages, their communities have told them that this cutting is essential for their adulthood, for their marriage, for their happiness. Another reason why is that many villages and many communities that decide to make their females go under FGM is that once a female goes through FGM is seen as a rite of passage and they do celebrate that so they give the female gifts and they celebrate it like a festival with food and drinks and dance and songs so it's essentially like how some villages treat a female's first period you know so these females think that okay I've gone through this rite of passage just being cut. That's amazing. And people are celebrating it. So it must be good. It must be good for me. It must be good for my family, for their respect, for their status. But of course, we all know that there is no happy element to this. And the consequences of FGM that females do experience are evidence that this procedure, this practice should be eliminated from all parts of communities. So not only is this procedure harmful and, of course, painful, the procedure also is very unhygienic as well. Midwives or circumcisers will just go around visiting surrounding villages and perform FGM. They don't need to have any medical experience. They don't need to have any sort of degree or anything like that. They just claim themselves as FGM practitioners and they just go around cutting females. That is really, really scary because you don't know how they will do the procedure. There are many times where females get infection, many times where females actually die because of infections, because the way in which they're getting cut is medically incorrect and it's also unhygienic. You don't know what instruments they use and how clean those are. Usually the FGM practitioners use instruments like knives and razors, even scissors, 
again, like I said, they don't use sterilization. Not only that, they don't even give the females anesthetics or antibiotics. It's just lay down, I'll cut to you and you'll heal. That is it. So not only are you giving that female pain and harm, but the actual procedure is just medically incorrect. It's just wrong in every single way. Once a female has been cut, ointments like oils and honey, dough, and even tree sap are used to control the bleeding. And again, hot objects are usually used for controlling bleeding as well. So just imagine you've just gotten cut and you weren't given any antibiotics or you weren't given any anaesthetics and now a hot object is going on the place where you just got cut. There is absolutely no benefit to this procedure. It's always going to be harming the female that is going under the knife. In terms of how long it takes for the cut to heal, it can take a few days, it can take a week, more than a week. If it's a small cut, then it will take a few days. If it's a larger cut, or if it's literally stitching up the vaginal opening, then many females will have to rest at home and they also get their legs tied together so the healing process can increase. So essentially they're just tied down and they're just laying on the bed waiting for that cut to heal. The cut that they shouldn't ever have gotten but they have because their society says it's right for females to go under female genital mutilation. So like I keep saying, there are absolutely no health benefits to the females. There are no benefits whatsoever to the females, even though they think that undergoing FGM will save their family's pride and will stop them from getting ostracised or whatever. There are no benefits to this procedure. It only harms a female's physical and mental well-being. Who has actually gone through a list of impacts that females can see, can experience if they undergo FGM? And they've split them up into immediate impacts, so right after the procedure has finished, and also the long-term complications related to FGM. So for immediate impacts, you can have, of course, severe pain, excessive bleeding, some females can even have hemorrhage as well, genital swelling, urinary problems. I remember when I first actually heard about FGM, I was about 14 years old, and in school I was watching a documentary and one woman was talking about how once she had FGM done to her and she was urinating for the first time after the procedure, it felt like somebody was throwing chilli powder up her vagina because it just hurts so much. And you can imagine, females that undergo FGM will have very big problems urinating. Females can also undergo fevers. They can be, of course, shocked as well. And even death can occur if the wound isn't healed in the correct way or if the instruments used weren't sterilised, which mostly they aren't as well. For long-term complications, again, urinary problems, just constantly having problems when you urinate. You can have vaginal problems, for instance, having discharge on a regular basis, experiencing itching, having bacterial infections. Menstrual problems as well is something that women who have undergone, undergone FGM can experience so their periods can be very painful because of the cutting and they can also find it very difficult to pass blood when they menstruate. Periods can become a big problem for women that are undergoing or have undergone FGM. Sexual problems as well especially for women that have had a seal applied to their vaginal opening. Of course during intercourse they will experience quite a lot of pain 
many women actually have to reopen that seal when they do want to have intercourse and then seal it back up or when they want to or when they are giving childbirth then they have to open that seal again and then they seal it back up once the child has been born so you know like the problems just don't stop they keep on increasing and I think the problems actually occur way after the procedure has occurred like I said like women find it hard to urinate women find it hard to have periods women find it hard to give birth also there's an increased chance of newborn deaths for females that have undergone FGM you can imagine because of that procedure they may have infections and that can affect the baby's health not only are newborns more likely to die of females that have undergone FGM they can have problems in childbirth as well for example, excessive bleeding because of the cutting and they might have to undergo a caesarean as well and again, difficult delivery just because of the extent of damage done to their vaginas. And it's not just a physical problem. These females have been psychologically affected. They, Their mental well-being has been affected, has been damaged and they can experience depression and anxiety, low self-esteem so I just, I keep on saying this, but it is true. There are no health benefits to female genital mutilation. There is only harm caused and you can see the levels of impact that females experience once they undergo FGM. It is a practice that we need to eliminate from society. Make communities understand that this is not correct. This is not a way that women undergo rites of passages. It's not a way for them to enter adulthood. It's not a way for them to be considered pure. It's just wrong. It's an ideology and a mindset that needs to be removed from all communities throughout the world. That is what people need to understand. And that is what people are starting to understand. But it hasn't fully been eliminated. We still need to do much more work to help stop the issue of FGM. I've briefly touched on why people even consider FGM an important practice for females, but essentially I just want to go through the cultural and social factors that make communities decide that FGM is a procedure that they will undergo for all of their females. So the first thing is just that many societies, especially villages, are very fearful of being ostracized if they don't make their females undergo FGM. You can imagine how close-knit these communities are in villages and if one person decides okay I don't want to do this because I think it's wrong, I think it's going against human rights, they'll be ostracized, they'll be kicked out of that community and they'll have to find refuge in another place and they might not be able to do that, especially if they have a large family. Where are they going to go? So because of that fear they just don't want to risk anything and they just make their females go through FGM just so that they, they don't have to see the hate from their community. They don't have to be isolated and marginalised just because they decided to not make their females undergo FGM. I've mentioned this before but many communities see this as necessary for the rite of passage for females and it is seen as necessary for adulthood and marriage as well. Many people in these communities think that if females don't undergo FGM, those females will be seen as promiscuous and nobody wants a female that's promiscuous, right? Especially in these communities. They want a female that is pure and 
that hasn't had premarital sex. So they just want to make sure that their females are married off when they want and no problems are occurred just because they haven't gone through FGM. So essentially FGM is just seen as evidence for premarital virginity. So it's just a sort of evidence for people that, look, my daughter is clean, my daughter is pure, please do take her into your family once she gets married. So FGM is not only seen as a rite of passage, but it is also seen as a symbol of purity in many of these communities. That is exactly why many actually undergo clitoridectomy. So to make sure that the female doesn't experience any sort of pleasure when she has intercourse. And again, that's just their way of ensuring that the female won't be promiscuous. Because if she isn't feeling any pleasure during sex, then why would she be promiscuous? Again, I think this procedure in such communities is just seen as a way of showing that a female is pure. The female hasn't slept around. I think that is the main issue. Otherwise, why else would you make your daughters undergo FGM? Because there are no health benefits, so the only reason must be to protect their virginity before marriage. Many people also think that FGM is probably stated in some sort of religious scripture. Actually, it isn't. There is no evidence for religious scriptures saying that females should go under FGM that they should experience it, that they should have FGM done to them. No religious scripture actually says that. Yet many actually use religion to support it. They say, okay, so God expects females to be pure. Why don't we use FGM to support that? You know, that FGM is a way to ensure that females do stay pure before marriage. But again, not all religious people support it. There are many, many mixed views about this. Some say that females should undergo it, some say that they shouldn't at all. And these are religious people. So again, the views are very mixed, but clearly there are many communities that use religion to validate this procedure. But of course, there is no validation strong enough to show that FGM is necessary and that it's beneficial to any female at all. FGM is wrong full stop. It's in the name, female genital mutilation. Mutilation. We have no right to be mutilating anybody, anybody's body. We have no right to be altering anybody's body without their consent or brainwashing them to make them think that this is right. We have no right over anybody's body. And that is exactly what these communities need to understand. Around 200 million females in the world have undergone FGM. And that's just. An estimate. There are many females that won't even come out to tell researchers that yes, I've undergone FGM because they're scared about the consequences when their communities find out that they have stated this. Around 200 million females worldwide. And like I said, females as young as a few days old are made to undergo this procedure. This procedure that is not necessary in any way, not beneficial to them in any way. Females are made to undergo this immense pain for no reason. 200 million females have undergone FGM and around 3 million girls, so just girls, not even women, 3 million girls worldwide are at risk of getting FGM done to them every single year. So yes, the issue is definitely decreasing and the number of FGM cases 
are occurring are overall de decreasing because people are understanding how bad of a practice it is. But 3 million girls worldwide are still at risk of facing FGM every single year. And again, these are just estimates. The numbers must be higher because there are many females out there that are not comfortable in talking about the procedures done to their body or the expectations that their societies that they live in have for them to undergo this procedure. Like I said at the start, FGM transcends religion and geography and your social status from its origins. So it's not only just about somebody's religion or culture, but currently it has become very prevalent in Africa and in Muslim countries. The NSPCC has stated a list of countries which are seen as the main countries where FGM is practiced. And these are Somalia, Ethiopia, Sudan, Nigeria, Yemen, Indonesia, Kenya, Sierra Leone, Egypt, Eritrea and the Kurdistan region. So these countries and these regions are where FGM occurs today. So people from these regions or immigrants to another country from these regions are at the highest risk of undergoing FGM currently. Of course this varies from communities because every single country has their own sort of community and their own mindsets within the community but these are the main countries where FGM occurs and these are the countries that organisations and charities focus on when it comes to FGM and helping to stop FGM. So many people would think that it's only an issue for those countries and the females that live there, they will be facing that issue only. But there are many people that immigrate from these regions to wealthier nations that, of course, make FGM or practices like FGM illegal. Yet those females are still at risk of undergoing FGM or have undergone FGM whilst living in those countries that have made FGM illegal. How does that happen? Basically, the main reason why I actually wanted to make this episode is because I actually read an article where the cases for FGM are actually increasing in the UK. And when I saw that, I just got completely confused. You know, I thought maybe the UK would be good at making sure that nobody will be undergoing such procedures because, of course, it is illegal. It is seen as child abuse or just female abuse. And when I saw the article, I got very confused and I decided, okay, I need to make an episode on this because clearly the issue of FGM is still present. You know, many studies show that the cases are decreasing in number, but if they're increasing in the UK or if there's still victims in the UK that have undergone FGM, there must be an issue that is still existent, you know, it's still a big issue. And that's exactly why I wanted to make this episode. So when I done my research, I found Plan UK, which is a charity that helps with females in developing regions in many different aspects. And of course, they cover female genital mutilation as well. And of course, you can find the link on my website. You can go through everything. There's a lot of information on there. There's a part for the UK. And some of the stats on there were very uncomfortable to see. I wouldn't expect the UK to have high rates of FGM cases occurring. These cases won't be occurring in the UK, but these females are UK citizens. So, of course, the UK has a responsibility to protect 
such women from such communities that do still undergo FGM whilst being a UK resident. So I just want to go through some of the stats that I saw on Plan UK's website. Every 92 minutes, there is one case of FGM reported. Every 92 minutes, a case of FGM is reported. That's crazy. I seriously wouldn't expect the UK to be so bad in terms of FGM cases. And the number of immigrants that do come here have experienced FGM or are still at risk of experiencing FGM and the UK government doesn't have any idea about that. I think that's really shocking and really heartbreaking to hear. Around 170,000 girls and women that are living in the UK have been cut. Girls and women that are living in the UK. So again, FGM is not a small problem. It is a major problem and it's a female inequality issue. Places like the UK really need to help in addressing this issue much more because maybe communities are starting to understand that this procedure is wrong but there are still lots of people in the UK and in many other countries that are wealthy and that make procedures like FGM illegal that are experiencing FGM or are in that fear that they will undergo FGM at one point of their life. The UK even has a cutting season where during the summer many females from countries that do make females go through FGM are actually flown abroad and it's pretended that they're going on holiday so this journey is seen as a way for them to you know meet their relatives or their family when essentially they'll actually go to those countries and then get cut and then fly back home to the UK. So of course these females can't get cut here because it's illegal to undergo FGM in the UK but during summer where of course you're allowed to make your child go anywhere for holiday right and the parents they make their daughters go abroad go back home get the procedure done and then come back and of course you have no evidence that that has occurred only the female knows what has been done to her body. So of course the cases of FGM in the UK have been increasing but there is actually quite a lot of work being done in the UK for FGM survivors or just females that may be at risk of experiencing FGM. This year, so 12th September, so it should have been open, eight new NHS clinics, so National Health Service, it's a, it's a national service for the UK if anybody doesn't know, eight new NHS clinics have actually opened to support victims of FGM or females that are at risk of getting FGM done to them and essentially victims or people that are in risk of getting FGM can go there and get specialist help by highly specialised doctors, midwives and nurses. They can have that space to talk to them and understand why FGM is not a procedure that anybody needs to go through and for people that have already been victim of it they can be told how they can alleviate their pain and make their life less painful because of the procedure. It's estimated that more than 1,300 women will actually benefit from these centres. These centres have been open in London, Birmingham, Bristol and Leeds. Essentially these clinics, like I said, will provide a space for women to talk about these issues and to talk about what they experience or what they might experience. It's just a way to support families and to help them understand that procedures like this are necessary, they shouldn't occur at all 
and you shouldn't be encouraging somebody else to get it done. So essentially just eliminating the risk of the younger generation experiencing issues like FGM and also working with local community groups to prevent further cases of FGM occurring in the future. These clinics are new so the success rate of these clinics will have to be seen in a few years but I think that is a really good step for the UK, for the UK government to take to help these victims of FGM come forward, get help and make sure that younger generations don't face the painful procedure of FGM. There are many organisations helping to solve problems like FGM and just female inequality in general. The World Health Organisation is working with UNICEF and the UN to work with communities and governments to make FGM illegal, especially in those countries where FGM is openly practised and is seen as legal, as a legal procedure. And who has actually been very successful in that? They've helped implement laws that go against FGM in 26 countries in Africa. So in 26 countries in Africa, FGM is now seen as illegal and it is ensured that people don't undergo FGM. Not just in Africa, in the Middle East as well. So those 26 countries are in Africa and the Middle East and they have now accepted FGM as an illegal procedure that shouldn't exist. Plus... 33 other countries that have migrant populations like the UK are making sure that there is a law that goes against FGM, that makes FGM illegal. As I've mentioned before, the cases for FGM are overall decreasing because societies and communities are starting to understand that this painful procedure has no benefits and there is basically no point in doing it. And support isn't, is not just provided by women, there's lots of men as well that think that this procedure is unnecessary and like I said there'll be some communities in these countries that support it and some communities that don't and the ones that don't support it are increasing in number which is great but people are still at risk of getting FGM done to them and people still are undergoing the procedure so yes the numbers are decreasing in terms of the cases but the procedure still occurs the procedure is still present in society today, somewhere around the world. And we still need to help tackle this issue and help every single person understand that FGM is wrong. It is wrong full stop. So how can you help to reduce the number of FGM cases that are occurring or will occur? There are basically three main ways in which you can help reduce the number of females that do undergo FGM. The first is, of course, to raise awareness. So definitely share about this on your social media. You know, talk about this with your friends and your family and show your support to end this practice because people that have been victim to the procedure or are at risk of it may as well hear you. You know, they'll hear your support and they'll know who to talk to. They'll know that there are people out there that actually are against this procedure and know that it is incorrect, it is wrong in every single way. And so, yeah, we need to just raise awareness about this constantly. It's not a small issue. It is affecting a lot of people. And a lot of people can be affected if we don't raise more awareness within our communities and our friend groups and our families. We need to help people understand that this is wrong and we will support you and we will help you understand that this is wrong. 
The second way is just to show your support to organisations that are doing a lot for female inequality in general, especially FGM, helping to stop FGM. So there are many organisations that do that. Some of the big ones are NSPCC, Plan UK that I mentioned before, UNICEF, WHO. There are many organisations that are really working very hard to help stop issues like FGM. And you should really support those ones. You can donate to them. You can, again, share them on social media. So we need to support these organisations. We need to raise awareness. The third one is just to stay alert. Stay alert of, of your surroundings especially if you have female friends that are from the countries that I mentioned, because they will be at a higher risk of getting FGM done to them compared to yourself, unless you are from that country. So definitely listen to people more. You know, if you notice a particular pattern of a person's behaviour or speech, or if they constantly mention how their family wants to send them abroad, just become a bit more aware, you know. Try to understand if a friend could actually be at risk of getting FGM done to them. So, of course, you can't just assume that just because a friend is going to their home country and that home country happens to be a place where FGM is practiced, you can't just assume that they will get FGM. But, you know, just be a bit more aware. Give that support to your friends and let them know that you'll be there for them and procedures like FGM are just wrong. You know, you just need to show that you support this. You need to show your awareness. You need to spread awareness. I think that is the main thing that you as an individual can do to help solve issues like FGM. Because, of course, communities will take time to understand that this procedure is wrong. You know, you won't just eliminate FGM overnight. It takes time for communities to understand what even female inequality is and how we have no right to control a female's body or to alter it in any way. So we need to, of course it's a slow procedure, but it won't be that slow if we continue to raise awareness, if we continue to show support, if we continue to stay alert of our surroundings and notice suspicious things that are going on or patterns in people's behaviours and what they say to help reduce the problem of female genital mutilation. Also, I'll be putting up links to helplines on my website for FGM and these helplines are free to use, there are 24-7 service as well and they are totally anonymous so if you know anybody that is at risk of undergoing FGM or if you might be at risk of undergoing FGM or anybody else please do see these helplines and again you can share them on your social media pages, you can share them with friends and family, just to raise much more awareness about this issue and just highlighting the fact that it doesn't matter if the magnitude of the problem might be decreasing, it still is existent and there are still women, still females out there that are undergoing this horrible procedure just because society thinks it's correct. So in every single way possible, we need to help these communities understand that this is wrong and essentially help eliminate FGM from all parts of the world. Thank you for listening. I hope you've gained a little more insight to what it's like to be mindful of everything. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button on your favourite podcast app to be up to date with episode releases and go over to my website, mindfuloveverything.home.blog to get more information. This is Agrita with the Mindful of Everything podcast 
and I shall see you next time.